Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Cinnamon. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Herman. I'm Harry J. Perales, the other. And we're going to tackle the finale of season two. The boy the Earth talks to. Actually, it's just boy the Earth talks to. I fucked it up! <laughs> boy the Earth talks to. Boy. <laughs> Does it ever. This is a really good episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, pretty much all the finales are mm-hmm. pretty great. It's, uh, I think it's interesting because I think this sort of show went on to kind of set the template for prestige TV. Uh, not that this show alone did, but mm-hmm. you know, this show and all the others out around this time, like the Sopranos and the wire, yeah, that kind of golden age HBO run of crime shows. Right. Like before there was like a cliche of prestige TV, they were just making really freaking good TV. Uh, and now like people try to have a, Finale does a certain way, but this was this was kind of I don't I don't want to oversell it, but it was kind of you know one of the treading new territory as far as TV shows, uh, and he just made this really beautiful, great finale. Uh, but let's dive right in. We start out, and uh, Mister Wu was sneaking out of <laughs> captivity. You know, last we saw him, he was being dragged into the gem uh, by the the the. Dunderheads, yeah. the, the gem crew, uh, but he is sneaking out, and there's a sleeping guard, yeah. which will be addressed. <laughs> uh, but out on the balcony, Al is having his morning coffee. Ken looks down and he sees a guy mm-hmm. getting out, and I, you know it's George Hurst. Yeah, uh, I thought that was like a really interesting. There's a great like Ian McShane's a good actor, folks. And there's this kind of like, I don't know who you are, but I can sense the gravity of you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know that this person's important. And he maybe even like knows like, oh, that's George Hurst. Yeah. I don't know if you got the. Well, one thing I noticed, and we'll bring it up later. Um, I noticed the cups he's drinking out of. Al. Yeah, Al. Mm-hmm. Like, especially like later on, you see him, you know, drinking out of a certain cup when he's like talking to Jerry. Mm-hmm. Who he just thinks is like a hypocrite, some like asshole, and he's like, but he seriously, he, he sees uh, Hurst, and he can clearly see he's like somebody to be reckoned with, and so there's like, uh, I don't know what kind of, what kind of metal kind of cup he's drinking, but it's like that dark. Is it like, like um, yeah. at first I just thought it was like a little tin yeah. cup, but is is it tin, or is it like a, like a, oh god, I don't want to say, it's not cast iron, but there's like one so, of those hard, like forged. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something, something. It, just the look of it just reminded me of, like, industry and, like, or just, like, you know. Oh, so it's kind of tying to Hearst. Yeah, a little bit. Or at least I, my English major brain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's fair for Deadwood. Uh, I think Milch. Uh, I'm pretty sure every, li- if, you know, especially looking at this episode, like, you know, all little tiny things you look around in the frame, they mean something. Right. So I will bring up, you know, since we are on the subject of like uh, symbols and whatnot. Hearst has a back issue mm-hmm. and it's not a fleeting thing. Like, yeah, you rode in the stagecoach, You're going to have a fucked up back because there's no shocks on anything in these days, <clears throat> but it's mentioned later on. So that it kind of gives me uh, the impression that there's weight behind that. And I was wondering what you thought about a guy dealing with a back issue. Yeah, but I think he's he's noting he's probably just noting like a weakness or something. And even though it's not like it's something he can exploit, it's still like a point of weakness for somebody who you know 
her, the name Hearst has preceded him. Right. And I, it's, it's interesting because when I was reading, um, I think it was Alan Seppenwall's review, either Alan Seppenwall's or Todd Vanderwerf at AV Club mentioned that they kind of chuckled when they saw Major Dad yeah. get out of the stagecoach. <laughs> and I forgot that, like, oh, right, Gerald McRaney, that, that's, that's all, that's not, I shouldn't say all, but that's the main thing people thought of. Yeah. I think Gerald McGraney, and like now he's kind of gone on to take on a few more roles, um, mm-hmm. most notably House of Cards, uh, yeah. where he plays a kind of similar person. Uh, but yeah, it's it's we've been hearing George Hurst, and we've had his you know forerunner in front of him, who's a murderous sociopath, and then he shows up and 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 you know the name Hurst, especially in the American consciousness, mostly because of George Hurst's son, but. The name Hearst to this day carries a lot of weight. Yeah. Uh, and it was built on, well, you know, George Hearst's fortune. So there's, there's, you know, it, it's, he's a, he's a Titan in, yeah. in, uh, every sense of the word, except the literal one. Yeah. Um, and then we see, he's just a human, mm-hmm. you know, after all of that. Um, and also you can see, um, especially the way that, you know, the, the two, uh, the two big, like, you know, proprietary figures in the town, like, try to cut him down and pointing out, like, his weaknesses to him, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, And we'll get to those later, but um, the way he reacts in both cases is pretty surprising. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, and also, Alan Seppenwall notes that um, this is a rare episode that doesn't take place the day after the previous one. A week has passed since William's funeral, just to get her bearings um so now we go to uh the i never know what to call the chinaman's alley even that's like the cleaned up version's not that great yeah no uh but chinatown essentially uh we was gathering up some men and i didn't copy it down but um uh keone young who plays mr Wu, mentioned that i think it was this guy that he like talks to was a a stuntman of his a long time Mm. and he had fought for a long time to get him on projects with him and actually got to get him in uh we then we see a uh (laughs) the scene at the cheyenne black hills telegraph and jerry i have written down jerry sleeping in a chair looking like a big dumb old bird (laughs) uh man what a contemptuous character (laughs) yeah but (laughs) I, I like I vacillate between like ah oh, it's fun to have hit there's one moment in particular in this episode where I'm like God bless Stephen Tobolowski <laughs> like, uh, but I'm also like really sick of Jerry yeah yeah um but then a, a telegraph starts to come in there's the uh, oh boy I've I've muffed it but I can't remember if it's Alan Seppenwell or Todd Vanderwerf who talks about how. Milch is known for his flowery language and a whole lot of language. Uh, and in this episode, there's a whole lot of uh, silence and language that we can't uh, understand. Like there's Chinese, you know, obviously there's some people who will understand the Chinese, but most of us aren't going to get the Chinese that's being spoken. And then he mentions like, oh, and now a signal's coming in, but only Blazanov can understand it. Right. I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And there is a lot of... Uh, stretches of no talking in this episode. Right, and especially, like, uh, other scenes of dialogue and, like, other scenes informing a different scene where we don't hear what they're talking about, but they're clearly talking. But 
you know, it's, well, we'll get to it later, but like, especially during the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but after the brief shot of Jerry, we're back at Chinatown and we was set his men off on their purpose. Uh, one of them does the whole thing. We're like, Hey buddy, uh, you got the time. He's like, I don't got the time for you, jackass. And while he's doing that, the other guy chops him in the back with the ax. I, <laughs> there's a lot of, I, I, I suspect it's a function of how easy it is to do these stunts. Yeah. But there's a lot of chopping the back with an ax, which <laughs> I don't think is the most effective way to kill a person. <laughs> I don't think it's as instantaneous as it's portrayed. Yeah, I have actually wondered about that, like, you know, because it's very easy to show because you can just have the axe back there and just, ah, and just turn and it's there. Right. It's, it's, I think it's a lot more expensive and time consuming to do like a headshot with the axe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you can just like put a board on someone's back and hack into it. Mm-hmm. And, but anyway, yeah, this is me throwing shit at David Nose <laughs> being like, way to go. Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe it. So Lee shoots one of the attackers, and the other one runs away, and Lee is slowly walking him down. Uh, he stares down Lee, picks up a butcher knife, and, like, waves it, but then puts that down, and he rips his hat off and undoes his ponytail. Yeah. He's challenging Lee. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then we see Johnny nearby. Of all, <laughs> of, of all mediators. Right, but um, Keone Young also, him him and uh, Jim Beaver comment in Alan Seppenwall's articles, and he had uh, uh, something to say about this scene. He says, in that fight scene with Lee, played by, by, played by my buddy, Phil Moon, a Yale drama grad, David instructed me to play it like an opera. <clears throat> well, I kept thinking, I'd been to many Chinese opera productions, into the classical kabuki theater of Japan. So instead of Western opera, I chose Eastern. In the East, warriors, when they head off into battle, where they will most likely die, always clean their body and unravel their hair. I had many scenes when the warrior was doomed in a battle, would trans... uh, I'm sorry. I had seen many scenes when the warrior was doomed in a battle, would transform himself into a specter to put fear into the hearts of his enemies. I did that with my hair spontaneously, I gather that animals do that as well, where they would stretch out their hide or hairs and to appear ghostly and huge. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. That reminds me of, um, I remember hearing about in Jackie Brown, of all places, like um, Samuel Jackson's character, his hair is down, mm. like, at the end of the movie. And the reason that is is because it's, it's a nod that him and Tarantino knew for, like, kung fu movies to where, like, at the end, the temple would be burning, and then their hair would be down, and, like, that's, like, you know... Huh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's really cool. And uh, uh, there's a lot... I really w- didn't have time, but I really wanted to, like, get some of what they were saying to each other in mm-hmm. there. I was hoping he'd bring it up, because he's talked before about, like, what Hengdai means. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping he'd bring up what he and Lee were shouting... Cause it feels like very, you know, heavy with meaning. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't figure out what, what they were saying. If anyone knows, you know, give us a, give us a shout out. Um, but yes, Johnny is, uh, carrying a pig and he sees all this happening. <laughs> Says all Chinese, but woo, stay put. <laughs> Pulls woo away. And now we're at the Bullock house. And, uh, <laughs> This looks like a shot from like cries and whispers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, so, someone in the comment section says they look like they're sitting there waiting for the television to be invented. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just staring at the window, but the curtains are all drawn. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess that's what morning is. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 an interesting. It's good to know that we're a week away from William's funeral because there's definitely that feeling of like. There's no excitement here. Mm-hmm. We're we're not happy, but it's been a while. Yeah. So it starts to become routine, and the the you know I want to be really careful with how I classify it, but the the sorrow isn't as heavy as it was. Right. Immediately. But, al- but also, um, you know, as we see going on, there's a little bit a little bit of excitement towards this you know wedding between Ellsworth and Alma. So like you know. Mm. Everybody, so these are the two people that cannot celebrate that or cannot <laughs> be a part of the celebration because of the known uh, relationship between Seth and Alma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so literally, like, they can't look out into the camp. They don't want to see, or, you know, in a sense, like, oh, maybe they don't want to see, like, people being happy, especially when they're mourning. Yeah, with Martha, it's, I'm really not ready for, for a human company. Mm-hmm. With Seth, it's like, I gotta lay low a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I do really like the. I, I I'm not always very complimentary of Tim Oliphant, mm-hmm. but I think he plays these scenes really well. Yeah, uh, when agree. he just when he has the coffee and like goes, mm, and kind of lifts it up like it's good, it's good coffee. Uh, I don't know about you, I my. I'm a big coffee guy. You work at a fucking coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. It's like, oh, I'm not. I'm not a coffee person. Okay, <laughs> but I, I do work at two coffee shops. My 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 bones bend thinking of what the coffee was like back then. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. I don't want to. They always show it, and it looks like pudding falling into a. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but. Before we go on with the Bullocks, we're at the Bella Union, and Leon is reporting uh, the fight to to Cy. Uh, this is a very Cy scene. <laughs> the one thing, <clears throat> the one thing I'll say about this episode: there's a lot of scenes that kind of felt like they're falling into a a formula or a pattern. Uh-huh. With like Leon's just saying what he saw, and it's like Cy's like, "Well, did he come out of there? Might he have originated from such such and place?" Like. It's. I, I don't want to be overly uh, critical, but yeah, it, yeah. There's this, or at least to me, there's this kind of sense of like Asai's using these this like flowerly language with these dunderheads, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but those are the people that work for him. Yeah, yeah. Khan is is uncomfortable sitting and he's looking at a buffalo head or a bison or I don't know if there's a difference. Uh, and Leon gets to the part that Johnny dragged Wu back in the gem and Sai realizes what's going on. Uh, yes. And then, uh, the bartender, I forget his name, but he's been around. Yeah. <laughs> he's a friend of Joni's. Uh, he comes in and he reports that apparently he's got, he's got a dollar in with the carriage driver. I don't know what that phrase means, but I guess he's just like pays him to be a informant or something. Mm. Anyway, he's learned from the carriage driver that he just brought George Hurst into town. Mm. I thought this was really interesting with Cy, like, Looking around, like embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's humiliated and upset that he doesn't know about this already, 
And that, I mean, it's his like bartender that's got this info. Yeah. Uh, of all, all these people that he has doing specific jobs for him, a person who's doing another job for him is the one who gives him the information. Yeah. That's not even his job. Well, you know, I guess it's everybody's job who work for him, but he's like, oh, hey, by the way, I did the job that these other guys you're having do these jobs for you are just incapable of pulling <laughs> off. And also, as we'll see later, like, Cy really wants to be, like, I want to be somebody. I want to be important. Then, yeah. like, you know, trying to get, you know, percentages from Hearst and, you know, trying to talk to him. And Hearst is like, ah, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, he goes, some of us don't know better might mistake me for being on the outside looking in. And he lashes out at... At his at, daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just remember, like... uh there's something strange about the fact that Powers Booth refers to his own daughter as Idle Snatch. <laughs> I don't know what conservatives are talking about when they talk about <laughs> Hollywood <laughs> degenerates. I don't know what they're talking about. Oh. Uh, but all right. So, and then Cy tells Khan to go to the Grand Central and uh, report on everything that Walcott's doing and who he's doing it with. <clears throat> and Khan's just staring back at this buffalo. <laughs> And size like if the can the bison spare you a moment, and there's something trying to be fucking melancholy about that creature. <laughs> you know, I came to a realization. I wish I would have thought of it back when we were doing the Khan is sheriff storyline, mm-hmm. but yeah. Khan is like Deadwood's chief Wiggum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're uh, I, I like we're we're cutting right back to to a uh, you know business runner who is pissed off at his men. Uh, Al is screaming <laughs> immediately <laughs> at Wu and Johnny. Like he's, he kind of says like with Wu, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Who the fuck knows why he does what he does, but you, Johnny, you, you know, tipped your hand, tipped our hand, <clears throat> letting him know that we're working with Wu. Uh, <laughs> he goes, I'm so fucking pleased. I trusted you to Johnny to go out and buy meat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, EB just doesn't waste a moment. <laughs> no. he, he, does, he he really shines in this episode in terms of like... Um, does he ever? Just like pure EB-ness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants EB to tell Hearst that Al wants to see him. EB has diarrhea. I love that Adams has to suppress a laugh. I Adams kind of giggles... And Al shoots him a look. Yeah. But it's, I have the feeling that Al's like, yeah, I know, but not right now. <laughs> There's something about that that feels like that was, <laughs> like that was just actually like, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Adams, just like cracking up and just uh, Ian McShane in character. Yeah, Titus Welliver. Yeah, Titus Welliver and Ian McShane. Yeah. Being <laughs> really? <laughs> Diarrhea? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's EB. Uh, and Al brings up as far as like you know the pretense for why he wants Hearst to see Al he says just tell him that we've got uh, Wu who killed we, we have the man who killed your man uh, and you can decide what to do with him and he mentions that um, he'll probably want to come here if he knows what's smart if, if he is smart if he knows what's good for him <laughs> I'm mixing up my terms but uh you know, he wants to get a look around and see the... He'll want to see Al's office. Want to see the gem. 
Um, but we're finally back at the Bullock, Bullock house. And uh, I thought this was a really great scene. Because um, there's, this is where uh, Tim Oliphant like really sells the, the awkwardness. Uh, she asks him if um, he would still like her to teach the children. He does it. Uh, you know, when you're, you're looking for something to talk to with someone and you're like, oh, here we go. We can talk now. It's like, I don't want to seem disinterested. And you just really oversell it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would. Yes, I would be delighted. <laughs> and then just like takes a beat and then looks back at the curtains. Yeah. That's really good. But I, I thought um, Anna Gunn was really good in this scene, too. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down her whole thing. She says, I don't want to lose him, but I wouldn't upset them either. Uh, they're daunted enough by schooling itself. And in this, uh, Seth just keeps going, oh, yes. <laughs> and she asks us, like, I'm speaking of wearing mourning until the year has passed. Uh, this line is my favorite. It's like, but I believe if I teach them with love and joy, then I won't make them afraid. That's just a beautiful sentiment to me. Mm. This sort of like, I'm going to be really sad and I'm going to miss my son, but I can still be a good teacher and still uh, bring joy into these kids' lives. And she says, I don't want to lose him. And Seth says, you'll never lose him. And they kind of reach across an awkward distance to yeah. to hold hands. But that's sweet too, because it's like, we're going to do this. It's not comfortable, but... We're holding hands. Yeah. And, you know, the last episode ended with, you know, him kind of saying to her, like, whatever will let us live as we are right now. And I, this is maybe the first, like, reaching across the wide gap between them hey, uh, to make life comfortable and, and good. Right. Um, the next scene is at the Grand Central. Uh, Hearst is having breakfast. What a good scene this is yeah. <laughs> on all fronts. <laughs> yeah. Her, Hearst wants to know if they've bought everything and Walcott's like, well, we got everything. <laughs> this, this is another great, like, uh, when you're talking with your boss and there's like one thing you didn't do. Yeah. And you're like, what? I can, I can, I can spin this. <laughs> I can, I can be like, nah, look, like, it's it's all done. There's one that is, but you, don't worry about it. Like, and Hearst is like, I want it all bought. <laughs> like, get it get it all done. And he's like, I think the claim's going to be contested if we buy it. We're just going to get that headache. We don't want that, man. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> but Hearst is, uh, he wants to get to digging. Yep. He's a he's a digging little buddy. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got EB <laughs> practicing what to say to. <laughs> I just what uh, I just love how like E B is like at least he's making an attempt at hiding, who we'll see Khan in just a minute. <laughs> I wrote <Yeah>. inconspicuous <laughs> in my notes because <laughs> yeah, always just stand right behind someone grabbing your dick, yeah. <laughs> trying to not be seen. Uh, uh, it's like if I feel like it's like if I had it like if I ever made a movie and had like one of my uncles like just play like an extra in a scene <laughs> <laughs> like that's what they look like uh, yeah like and and I love I'm trying to remember I think it was um, the general character that Peter Coyote plays mm-hmm. but like I think he makes 
some comment like the first time he sees EB, like, what's with this motherfucker? Like, oh, yeah. But like, it hurts sees EB walking towards him because this fellow looks like he stepped out of a specimen box. <laughs> I love how instantly people size up EB. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. And I, I also have gone just like in the background limping around. Uh, we've got a classic EB line. Allow me a moment of silence, sir. I'm having a digestive crisis. I must focus on suppressing its expression. <laughs> yeah, just imagine being George Hurst. I guess he's used to the outdoors in the wild, but like right. having to be in Deadwood eating that food, having EB tell you, excuse me, I'm trying to keep myself from shitting all over myself. <laughs> it's like, come on, let me... Let me get digging. Like, why am I here? <laughs> I want to get that color. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a, a good... Uh, this is a pretty good scene, I think. The Bullock and Star. Ellsworth yeah. is walking down the street mumbling to himself like, oh, what's next? Pink panties? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so Saul excuses a customer to, to talk to him. I was... This is completely unimportant but i was really like happy at how understanding the customer was yeah the customer was like yeah okay <laughs> i was like oh all right i feel like in season one they'd be like fuck you if i ever see you again i'm gonna sh blow your head off <laughs> now it's like yeah first for like yeah. we're in a society now yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> uh ellsworth is complaining about this lavender gloves <laughs> the rigor in new york city uh, this is clearly the, and he, he comes out and says it, but like, this is his anxiety about the entire yeah. thing, but he's just focusing right now on the gloves. <laughs> like he can't do it. Just an uncomfortable thing that he has to endure, but he also like knows he has to, and he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I, and yeah. And it's also like, this is a big life decision. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think my favorite line have you brought up not wearing them? Just, what if they were her idea? <laughs> That's liable to bring the dromedary to its knees. <laughs> ah, okay, Ellsworth, yeah. pump the brakes. <laughs> I also love that, like, uh, you know, even like the like the best characters in this camp are still kind of like selfish to any or can't can't has the, have that in them. And not to say that, like, you know, not. Not to say, like, if you have, like, you know, pre-wedding jitters, you know, that's up. But I'm just saying, like, even he's like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. Why don't I have to do this? Right. Even though he's kind of the one who offered. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, but there was a good, or I, I think it was an interesting note from uh, Jim Beaver in the comments on uh, Alan Sevenwall's blog. He says, uh, my mom always says John Cleese in Faulty Towers reminds her of me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and I often think of the Lavender Mitten scene as my John Cleese moment. Uh, uh, not that I was influenced by or copying him in playing the scene, but that inexpressible frustration crossed with bewilderment that marked his Basil, Basil Faulty Reminds me of how Ellsworth felt as he found himself condemned to wearing silly, uh, I guess, simple, silly gloves, simply because it was the rigor in New York City, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> you know, when he started out with, like, this was my Basil Fawlty moment, I was like, mm, I don't 
see that, but I kind of get what he's mm-hmm. going yeah, for yeah. at the end there. Yeah, uh, so I I thought that's that's not who I would think of when when looking at that scene. So that I thought that was really interesting. All right. I could I, I'd I'd like to see Basil Fawlty run the Grand Central. <laughs> maybe uh, I wish next season, but he <laughs> <laughs> seemed like that would be the best time for him to pop up. <laughs> Got to keep them from murdering each other. <laughs> Oh, what a what a predicament! Uh, and I love how Saul isn't helpful. And he's like, anyways, today's the day. <laughs> and Elsworth just walks off. <laughs> I I loved it. I think that that's better than we really realize, because I think the um, uh, the instinct in that scene and writing that, and especially with the Saul character, who's usually really smart. Mm-hmm. and helpful and there to guide Seth. You think like, well, Saul will say something really smart and he'll help out Ellsworth. And this one, he just doesn't yeah. like, this is a, <laughs> like he's pointless in this scene, except to be like, well, uh, sometimes you do what you do. And sometimes you don't like <laughs> that's, that's all he's got to say. Uh, I thought that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder if that's, um, that's his way of being like, you have to do this, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's you like, I, I don't have an out for you. If yeah. That's what it's you're like, looking. today's the day. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fucking not do that now. All right. Now we get into uh, meeting Davy, the sleeping guard. Al walks down and asks Davy if he's going to the wedding, which in hindsight should have been our first clue that like, oh, what's Al up to? Yeah. <laughs> To ask Davey, he's like, you going to the wedding? Uh, I love Al's vicious rumors. I was responsible for her first husband's death. Fucking woman invites me to her wedding. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, only a Deadwood, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I love Davey's line even more. It's like, guess it's no accounting for why people do things. (laughs) Davey, I love that we've got a character who's just completely mediocre and worthless it's like he's not smart he's not he's not a complete he's, idiot he's just kind of he's not like super smart you know he's not like it's not like most of the people that we've that have been happening <laughs> until yeah. now he's just just a dude it's like well i mean folks are weird yeah <laughs> uh but then al brings up woo and it's like oh speaking of not accounting what about you know this uh woo he does this thing who can account for that and then he just like wheels on Davy and like grabs his throat, asks him like, "If basically, did you let him out on purpose? Were you trying to fuck up my plans?" Like, I mean, <clears throat> it was a good reminder with with everything that Al goes through that like he's still like a crime boss, <laughs> and he's like, "You're messing with my crime business." Yeah, there's also that line that Davy throws back at him that Al just told him, and he says it, and that's when Al like snaps at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I forget exactly what the line is. But yeah, he says, like, "Congregation says Amen." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what'd you just fucking say? <laughs> <laughs> love that was another like I love. I don't think it was even like appropriate for what Al had said. Yeah. Davy just didn't know what to say. And he was yeah. like, uh, it's like when you when somebody's saying something to you, you just repeat what they said. You're like, oh yeah, right, yeah. It's, the... it's a very Big Lebowski sort yeah, of yeah. a, you know, in in the parlance of our times, yeah. uh, you know. A lot of ins, a lot of outs. Aggression <laughs> will not stand, man. Uh, yeah. 
these dromedary fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so um, luckily at that point for Davy, well, Davy just says like, "Look, I just fell asleep. I've been working three jobs." <laughs> it's, I I don't know. I don't want to get into the economy of Deadwood, but I thought that there was like tons of money laying around. That's not exactly true though, because a lot of those miners like don't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, they literally have a drain. <laughs> yeah, under their showers, so any like uh, gold can be scooped up. They've rubbed into their hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, but then Eb walks in with Hurst. Uh, Al tells Davy, "Just like, hey, quit a job before you fall asleep on yeah, one." I love that line. Uh, <laughs> I love Al's like. Now th- I call this an impressive contingent. <laughs> like, I that's probably the. Maybe the single greatest moment of EB's life. Yeah. <laughs> Other than like later on in this episode. But uh, so he just greets Hurst and they're going to walk up to his room. I love the Hurst points at some buffaloes like your kill, sir. And I was like, who? <laughs> <laughs> That's some good shit. And there's a like, oh, no, I'm a terrible shot. I worked better closer in. That's a very... Uh, pilot episode Al sort of line. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the EB is like, I'll stay down here, gentlemen, unless you wish me up above. And they just start. Al's like, oh, hey, is your back hurt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, showing no concern for EB whatsoever. Declining years spare us no fucking indignities. My latest blessing is a horse apple up my fucking asshole. <laughs> Half my waking hours are spent trying to pass water. It's a hell of a way to introduce yourself to a fella. Yeah. That's Al. Uh, Alan Hurst, uh, they have, in in his office, they have this small talk about the heat. This is where Al mentions that he wasted two years in Australia. Yeah. Jesus. I, like, <clears throat> we've, we've brought up taking trips to Australia, and I don't want to take that airplane flight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm like, what is it, like 18 hours or something? I'm like... Oh, no way, man. Yeah. How how are you going to take a boat to Australia and then be like, no, nope, I'm going back. <laughs> like That's just the full two years <laughs> was getting there and coming yeah. back. <laughs> he, like, stepped off and was like, this sucks. It's <laughs> hot. <laughs> uh, he saw Ray Winston's character from <laughs> The Proposition. He's like, a fresh hell. I'm going to the old hell. <laughs> uh so then Dan brings in Wu. Uh, and here's another note from Keone Young. So Dan brings in Wu, and Al kind of grabs Wu by the, the ponytail, which is called a Q, I guess. Uh, and Keone Young says, In that scene, I talked to David about the Q and how in the West, Americans used to torture the Chinese by pulling on their Qs. He told Ian to do that in that scene to disgrace his man Wu. So He's doing, like, the worst thing he can do in front of George Hurst to Wu. And you have to remember that Wu doesn't understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of... I don't think Al had any, like, ill intent. Um, But it kind of goes back to, like, he's doing whatever he thinks needs to get done. And even if he's not intending harm or humiliation to Wu, like, it ends up being that right i mean they throw that uh, slur around like eight times in that <laughs> scene alone yeah 
Yeah, he's pretty he's pretty vicious. I with the talk, I I, I think number one, it's nowhere near as rough to them as it is to us, which is an excuse, but then number two, we can't really understand. Yeah. He's probably picked up on that slur though. Yeah. <laughs> he probably uses context clues on that one. Uh-huh. Uh but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. But he's also he's projecting something to Hearst as well. Yes. Yeah. So. Showing that like this guy means nothing to me. Like you can have him. Mm-hmm. He's him bringing him here is not a sort of trying to say woo. It's it's I'm trying to get on your good side. Right. I mean, he even has that line like about him chopping Wu's head off. Yeah, off with Wu's head then. Yeah. Uh, and Hurst like. I'm not just bringing this up to laugh at racism, <laughs> like, but Hearst lines like he's an older fellow. Not often you can tell how old they are. I think this is important only in that uh, Hearst has definitely had lots of dealings with Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that Lee's done a lot of work for him, blah blah blah, and to them, to to him. They are still very much other. And I think with someone like Al, who you expect to be more racist because he's sort of a gruffer character and he's a criminal and a murderer as opposed to a titan of industry. Uh Uh-huh. The way that George Hurst is. But Hurst is kind of worse in his racism Mm -hmm. like al will say so ingrained it's so like just casual right and it's also tied in with power and class yeah and we see like like i was saying like you know he says the slur constantly but it's it's jarring how often it's used i mean you know we've heard it a bunch of times in the show Mm -hmm. but like over and over and over and over like repetitiveness to where it's like all right this is a little much but like so Hearst's, like, little bit of, or his, like, just subtle racism is almost and it's, more effective, more, like... Yeah, and it's, it, it, at least in the context of everything else we've seen on the show, it feels way more dehumanizing. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you know, like, uh, in Mississippi Burning, I think Brad Dourif, I think it's actually Brad Dourif has that line, like, oh, they're cute when they're young, aren't they? Like, talking about a young black kid. Uh, it's something like that where it's just like, you don't see them as people. Yeah. Um, but so getting down to it, Al says, Wu's welcome well for the past and he's well liked among, you know, the Chinese community. Hearst kind of brings up like, well, Wee's, Lee has worked good for me too. And that's where Al's like, well, then off with Wu's head. Uh, but he like slyly brings up the fact that it's like, you got your finger on the cause of it, too. Your chink being forward-looking. Set the bodies ablaze down with the day's trade. This one being longer in the tooth. Set what bodies ablaze? Custom holds stronger to what passes for his mind. What bodies, Mr. Swearingen? The horse for your workers. All right. I'll bite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I'll bite. What bodies did he burn? Uh, and, and you see Hurst, like, looking through this kind of ploy by, like, all right, I see you're playing a game with me. What did he do? <laughs> and we get around to, uh, you know, he says... Uh, if others can provide here with less disruption to the camp, services Lee provided me elsewhere, I'd have no objection to using them. Labor being the fucking essential. Toward securing the color. 
so like with this hearse is making the point like my main focus the thing that i'm driven by is securing the color and al has it like i'd hate to think you're this good at something that's only a fucking hobby uh hearse has this line most often my finds are in wild places which i prefer when that is not so i want friendly relations with my predecessors so that i can secure the color undistracted uh her says that he says I don't care who works for me. The less trouble, the better. Uh, Al says like, look, Wu was the first, you know, uh, Chinese person to come out here. Everyone else followed him, or he brought them out. Like he's a pillar of this, you know, community. He built it himself. <clears throat> and her says like, okay, that sounds good. Before I make a decision, I need some sort of display from your man. He needs to prove out. And Al's like, I know what that means. <laughs> <clears throat> So, yeah, and there's, at the very end of this, like, Al and Hearst are shaking hands, and there's a really good, I think Keone Young does a really good job with this look of, like, he doesn't understand what just happened. Uh-huh. You know, there's there's this, like, they just came to some sort of agreement, and that's either really bad or really good for me. Yeah. But Al's kind of like, we're good. Yeah. And this was a sweet scene in Trixie's room. Where, I mean, this is very, very Trixie, like, oh, goddamn. And I'm like, ugh, here yeah. there's Trixie. <laughs> but <clears throat> Jewel is getting a dress on her and she's going to stick in her or whatever. But Jewel brings out a brooch and it, 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 it took me a while to understand what this was. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, I think back in the pilot, she gives this brooch to, bro- I, I think it's a brooch, it's some sort of jewelry. She gives it to Jewel, says, go buy me a gun with this. Like, mm-hmm get some money for, for this and get a gun. And I guess this whole time Trixie's been saving it. Yeah. Which is very sweet. This is a good little... Or Jewel, you mean, has been saving it? Or... Yeah, Jewel has been saving it for yeah. Trixie. Yeah. What did I say? I said Trixie's been saving it. Ah, yeah. Okay. Jewel had saved it. Uh, <clears throat> now we get some good EB. <laughs> How may I serve you further, Mr. Hurst? Be the fashion great or mean? Make a price on your hotel. Mr. Walcott says you avoid it. May I quibble with avoid, sir, as in exactly fitting the case? Not all, not makings of a price are avoidances necessarily, would you say? What will you take? Get away from me, goddamn you! Forgive me. Oh, excuse me, I, I am mad. My hotel is also my hospital. I am my own warden. I must conceal, lest I then wander the thoroughfare, gibbering like a simian. Brandy's in my privates, in my fist. <laughs> you don't have to say this, E.B. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, again, Hearst is just, like, exhausted with this and, like, yeah. I'll give you $100,000. Yeah. Which, how much is that in... It's around it's around two point something million, it's a little <laughs> under two point five. So he just like, fine. I'll make you uh, in, uh, <laughs> in in a century and a half from now a multimillionaire. But make you a hundred thousand air. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good for a day's work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, this is a good Jerry scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jerry tells Al that he's been working tirelessly. <laughs> I was like, you smell like cat piss, <laughs> which harkens back to his uh, 
when people lie, it smells like cat piss to me. Mm-hmm. Line. Uh, Al's trying to get him to shut up so he can read. (laughs) (laughs) Al brings out his uh, uh, magnifying glass. (laughs) The letters may get larger. The numbers will not. Oh, what a dick. (laughs) I think we've all been there. (laughs) Oversell a joke. Yeah. (laughs) Because we're tired. Yeah. I love the... I love the cut between the next sound you hear will be that of your own voice and Al's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> That's good. Uh, now back at the chaise on me, there's another uh, angry woman about getting dressed. Jane is pissed off. She has to wear these nice clothes again. I guess so, like she had to dress up for the funeral. <laughs> yeah. And, and Joni talks about how the superstition is that you can't wear the same outfit or the bride and groom are going to have bad luck. Right. Which, uh, I don't know if that's an actual superstition or if I mean, <laughs> Joni's just trying to get her to wear a different dress. Right. It's like a child. Yeah. <laughs> and also, just angry about having to wear underwear. Mm-hmm. Is this a superstition, too? She's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one's definitely a lie. I yeah. Know. Like, <laughs> yes. Undergarments and layers. Yeah. <laughs> or bride and groom are doomed forever. <laughs> I also thought that's a good like performance from Kim Dickens. Like, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm definitely because uh, I know I had like reservations about her character, like in the beginning part of the series or whatever. But I've def- you know, absolutely, you know, yeah, into Kim Dickens's performance as Joni Stubbs. Yeah, her transformation is, is one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and then we we hear Moe's coughing outside, and Joni. <laughs> You know, Jane wants him out, and Joni says he wants to stay on and work. And she's like, "Is what? <laughs> like we're not a business?" Yeah. <laughs> it's like I think he just doesn't want to leave. <laughs> the word for that is malingering. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start accusing more people of malingering. Yeah. Uh, Joni has to yeah convince her to wearing underwear is also part of the superstition. Uh, now back in Al's office, Al's studying. You know this proposal from Yankton, which we we should have like brought up. It's a proposal from Yankton to uh, annex Deadwood in the Dakota Territory. Uh, he's had Adams come in to like help him understand it because remember Adams used to work for some politician. And so uh, yeah, we study for our fucking lives. Uh, oh yeah, Khan comes in to tell Sai uh, that Hearst is working at some mine in the thoroughfare, which uh, you know that we we jump over and we see him down there. And I thought this was interesting because when we started doing this, I remember watching the pilot again and seeing like the first ride through of the camp where it's like, Oh, looking around, like, look at all of these people. Look at this is a wild town. There's a shot of like a mine in the middle of the thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there was a mine that that mine doesn't show up in the rest of the show. <laughs> Aha. I, ah. I was a dumbass as usual. And it shows up again. I was like, oh, fair play. And they take care of it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that uh, Hearst is down. He's just, he's just a little uh, digging little guy. Yeah. He just loves that dig, dig, dig. <laughs> uh, Cy comes up and he, like, introduces himself. And Cy's very anxious to be like, I've been uh, working for you, sir. I've been uh, doing a lot of work for you. Uh Hearst is like, did you buy me this mine? He's like, I sure did. Bought it with my own two hands, whatever. And he's like, all right, it's all out of color, boy. Seal her up. And he's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, by Jim Clay. I was I was told I was told by Walcott, who, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute, boy. <laughs> put put a pin in Walcott because I got something to tell you. Wait till you hear about this. Uh, but I was told to buy it up. He's like, we want to be thorough. Like it's it's all good. Uh, whatever. Um, then on their walk back, side just really clumsily. Like for as much as Sai is a, a shrewd uh, mm. businessman or, or or swindler, or whatever, he's very, very uh, clumsy about like you know I've been down in the mud for you as well. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and and there's again going back to Hurst's kind of exhaustion with everyone. Like I, I imagine with him, anytime he comes to some new place and people realize that he's, I mean, this is is this the richest man in America? I don't. It might not be. Might be like Carnegie or Rockefeller or something, but this is one of the richest people in the world, mm-hmm. and people probably want things out of him. So he's kind of like, I don't. He, this time he doesn't tell him to cut to the chase the way he did with like Al. He's like, yeah. what bodies do you mean? He was just like, sir, I am tired. <laughs> I've been traveling all day. I would like to go to bed. Size so like, uh, Walcott killed some prostitutes. You know, like <laughs> he cut the throats. Yeah. Yeah, he, he he brings up that, like, the camp had a meeting about it. And mm. So now Hearst is kind of like, well, he says, like, I'm tired. Can we talk about this later? He comes out and is like, well, you're that geologist. You're slit prostitutes' throats. And Hearst kind of, now this, we know that this is a surprise to Hearst. Yeah. And it bothers him. But he kind of smiles and laughs and walks away. Uh, and sighs left to just chomp on his cigar. Yeah. I, I thought (laughs) that was a really cool way of him like you people like he's just exhausted like do you know like from there will be blood there's the moment it was in the trailer where he goes like i can't keep doing this on my own yeah not with all these people yeah (laughs) i don't like most people yeah I, i i see some of that in her story he's like are you for real dude i gotta deal with i'm just trying to get some goddamn color yeah uh Oh yeah, so that will be dealt with shortly. It's also it's also good to like kind of see the uh, the different dynamics of like how well, like you said, like how well Al is able to kind of you know rouse Hurst to kind of let him do right. his thing, and Cy just has to struggle at it. Yeah, like Al is just Al makes it look effortless. He's like, oh yeah, no, by the way, yeah, don't worry about that. But he gets his way. And where his size like, you know, he's got to like work at it. Yeah, he's he's he doesn't have as fine a touch. Yeah, just like what that fucking geologist, sick fuck of yours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not something Al would do. like. You know, maybe that that kind of draws like Al was willing to be like, look, I'm sure your guy's great. <clears throat> I like my guy, but I don't give a shit. Whereas size like, hey, you, you got to give me what's mine. Your guy did this. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So now we get this scene in Ellsworth's room where he's doing something to his teeth. Okay. <clears throat> I can see your face. <laughs> that was mine. Too. My only note was what the fuck is Ellsworth doing to his teeth? Uh-huh. Luckily, I got an answer from oh, Jim you, Beaver. Oh, you did? Yes. All right. I almost, I started laughing when I was reading this comment to his because like, thank you. I didn't know what, I was like, was he pulling a tooth? All right. So. Uh, this is Jim Beaver. He says, the only time we ever shot an entire scene because of something I suggested was in this episode. 
from the from the beginning of the show, the filth and grime on our bodies was augmented by similar filth on our teeth. Uh, getting your teeth made up is not quite as fun as it sounds. It occurred to me that for this wedding day, Ellsworth might actually want to do something about his dental crud. I read up on frontier dental hygiene and found that people often made their own toothpaste with charcoal and used it to scrape their teeth with sticks. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this to David Milch and I said, uh, and said I thought Ellsworth might be self-conscious about his teeth, and that's how the scene of Ellsworth scraping his teeth came about. I'm not sure it was completely obvious what he was doing due to the angle, the dirtiest, dirtiness of the mirror, and the brevity of the scene as edited. And a lot of people have asked me what I was doing there. No, because it's funny, because at first it just looks like he's brushing his teeth, but then you hear like a, or like you hear this like weird like pop sound. <laughs> Got some Foley work in this episode, know, yeah. folks. <laughs> uh, brushing my teeth with wet charcoal and a stick, folks. Yeah. That is wild that yeah. he thought to do that. Um, and this was a, this is a good scene. This is uh, Alma, I think yeah. this is the, the first we've seen of Alma this episode. Yeah. Um, and it's also it's also showing both of their like pre-wedding kind of rituals. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you see Ellsworth, and then you immediately see Alma with this like thoughtful, like kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, you know, monologue to her dead husband. Right. It it's this really cuts to the core of the Alma character, mm-hmm. uh, and this kind of. It's past the midway point of the series as it ran, and certainly not close to halfway of what Milch wanted to do, mm-hmm. but it does kind of serve as a pivot point for Alma's character. Mm-hmm. We've seen her kind of grow into her own. Like, she was, for a majority of season one, was subject to either her husband or to drugs. In season two, she was coming out of that, um, you know, dealing with an affair, but also standing up to like the pressures from uh, Walcott and all that. And this is where she's making a decision about her future. Yeah. Uh, She says, I'm so afraid that my life is living me and it will soon be over. And not a moment of it will have been my own and of how my body now tells me that that is fine and right. And this whole time, you know, we, we assume that we're, that we're going to see her talking to Brom. And this is just kind of some, let's see. What is it? This is a what is it? A J edit <laughs> where the where we we have the picture and then the 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 sound leading up to it. <clears throat> but she, and she's walking this whole time, but then she stops, and we kind of see the Mount Moriah. Uh, and we we get this last line: it's "Like I uh, I am to have a child, and I have a child in my care. He is a good man, and he whom I love is the here as well." Uh. She kind of sums it up, and she's looking at Mount Moriah, and she stops short and just heads back. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting because, you know, we realize we've been listening to her thoughts, and she kind of realizes at a moment that, like, I don't have to run this by a man anymore. Yeah. Uh, I'm my own person. Uh, I don't need to... I don't need the the weight lifted off of me from him because it's already gone. Yeah. Now this this scene is maybe one of my favorites in the entire series, where Hurst is talking to um, <clears throat> to Walcott. He's kind of pacing up and down. He 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 brings up the name the boy uh, boy the Earth talks to, 
He says, I know it talks to you too. I've, you know, I know it does. Now he's clearly mad, and he brings up, he kind of goes like, you can tell that uh, he's clearly upset and in no small way disgusted. Mm-hmm. But I think we can also tell that he's very deeply sad. Uh, I, I think as much as Walcott definitely sees Hearst as a father figure, I think he also sees Walcott as a son um, to a lesser extent, because I don't think Hearst can really get attached to humans. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think there's th- this anger is coming from a place of vulnerability, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and there's the pivotal moment, and this is brought up by uh, uh, Garrett Dillahunt as, like, you know, one of the biggest, the, the, the most important scene for Walcott. But this gambler Tolliver, uh, who was our agent for securing claims, has spoken to me about you. He says that you've killed women, prostitutes, yet he has disposed of the bodies for you. Well! When I was in Campeche, you wrote a letter on my behalf. To the Jefe de Policia. I am aware of Mr. Wolcott's difficulty. You will find me personally grateful for any adjustments you may make in his case. What did you think that was about? I didn't think about it. You were my agent in Mexico. You had many responsibilities. You asked me for the letter and I wrote it. As when the Earth talks to you, particularly, you never ask its reasons. I don't need to know why I'm lucky. What if the Earth talks to us to get us to arrange its amusements? Sounds like goddamn nonsense to me. Suppose, to you, it whispers, you are king over me, I exist to flesh your will. Nonsense. And to me, there is no sin. Hearst says he didn't th- think about it when Walcott's like, what did you think that letter was about when it said, I know of Mr. Walcott's difficulty or something like that. Um, I thought that was interesting. I, I probably read a little bit too much into Hearst's thing of like, I didn't think about it. What am I supposed to what, am I supposed to think you killed someone? That's ridiculous. I was kind of trying to draw the, like, Hearst wants it both ways, where he wants this guy who is capable of these things, but then when he's confronted with the reality of what it is, he's like, this, oh, there was no way of me to know. That's, yeah. You can't blame me for that. And I, I think, um, you know, maybe that's reading too much. I think this is a genuine shock for Hearst. Mm-hmm. And it it displays like a a, um, a disconnect between him and Walcott. Yeah. Um, there's the great exchange, like as when the Earth talks to you, particularly you never ask its reasons. And Hearst says, "I don't need to know why I'm lucky." Uh, what if the Earth talks to us to get us to arrange its amusements, which is some that's some straight up Zodiac shit. Yeah. Um, 
Hearst says, sounds like goddamn nonsense to me, which these Hearst lines, like, I don't need to know why I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. It sounds like goddamn nonsense. It kind of seems like protesting too much. Mm-hmm. But reading on, I'm going to read something from Garrett Delhunt, but um, he goes, suppose to you, it whispers, you are king over me, I exist to flesh your will. And to me, there is no sin. <laughs> this is, that's good writing, folks. Yeah. Um, I, I really love that we have a TV show where one character is, is a, a serial killer. And it's not like a serial killer show. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a Western. Um, but here's, this is a quote from Garrett Dillahunt. This was a Jim Beaver, you know, comment on the article. But he's like, I, I asked Garrett Dillahunt, and this is what he tells me. He goes, I think the most important part of this entire scene is the pause between those last two lines. Uh, Hearst says, does some spirit overtake you? Is that why you, is that what you mean by the talk? And Walcott pauses and just says, no. Uh, Garrett Dillahunt says, the truth is yes, but he decides his own fate and he lies. He says, no. It's here that Walcott gives Hearst a gift, the only one he can at this point. He absolves him of responsibility and complicity in his crimes. I believe it is the moment that Walcott begins making plans for his suicide. I thought that was really, that kind of undercut my theory. Because that's just beautiful. I don't have too much else to say about that. No, yeah, it is. Um, That's a level of TV making I, I don't see very often. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything else yeah. to say about this scene, but it's so I, I'm so sad that uh, Walcott's gone after this episode. Yeah, Garrett Dillahunt was so fucking good. Yeah, he was so good, and he he mentions later on that he Milch did want to find a way to bring him back. Yeah, but he said like, dude, I you gotta die. Like, yeah. there's no way. <laughs> like, he's just been too bad at this point, and there that's the only like. <clears throat> like equal justice is for him to die. Like yeah. that's it. It's a bummer. But yeah, we had we had two characters by Gary Dillahan. And what characters they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so we're back to Al's office and Adams is they're still working on parsing this uh you know proposal from Yankton. Uh Al's pissing. <laughs> uh so this is where they're talking about elections and um Adams brings up, like, we don't want Yankton setting in ringers. Like, just send a whole bunch of people in to vote for who they want. Uh, and he says, like, we'll have a, a, a period of two weeks. You have to be two weeks in camp before you can vote. And Hal has this, like, as, as much as it pains me to fucking say it, take out the 50,000. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love Adams' little, like, can I urge you to reconsider? <laughs> So let's see, a hundred thousand was so that's about a million bucks. That Al's turning, to, yeah. <laughs> Al's turning down. Uh, but you know, it's it's uh, smart. He's like, look, I'm gonna rob these guys six ways from Sunday. Uh, I don't want the founding document recording a fucking bribe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now Al goes off into the to the balcony. And Jerry's just waiting there. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair, it's 1870, whatever, and there's yeah. not much else to do. He's not going to be on his phone, or, you know. But this is the first also of like a kind of um, uh, 
tertiary storyline uh-huh. American as camera. <laughs> where it, I don't know if you noticed, but the whole time in the background, Merrick's fucking up his camera. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, like, hurries across mm-hmm. when uh, Al summons him and his Merrick's camera flash yeah, goes off like, <clears throat> prematurely. <laughs> uh, tri- oh, sorry. No, this is also where I noticed, like, uh, his different, like, he's drinking tea now. Oh, okay. <laughs> where he has the teacup and it's just, like, different, like, <laughs> sizing up different, like, you know, people you have to deal with. Huh. And how okay. he kind of sees, like, how he sees Jerry. Jerry's not as formidable. Like, he doesn't need the stronger stuff. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then we also see Trixie and Saul walk out. And <laughs> Al is, well, ain't you a pretty picture? Uh, gives him an envelope. Has some sort of joke about hitting her in the schnoz, which I don't care to parse. Yeah. Um, and back in Hearst's room, we see... Hell yeah, Captain Turner. <laughs> I love Captain Turner. Uh, he's loading up a bag with monies. Uh, he tells him to take it down. Uh, gets to EB. EB. <laughs> it's the best day of his life. Yeah, he just drags him into his little hidey hole back there. Uh, there's, we have a, a quick scene at the gem with Tom... And this is where, this is a small quibble I have with this episode, where I felt like this scene, like, moved a little too fast. Yeah. It's also not a super important storyline, except that, like, Tom, this kind of, like, decides the fate of Tom. Yeah. But it's like, Tom's not exactly a central character, but we have to deal with his storyline from, you know, the whole William dying uh thing but tom is sitting downstairs he mentions to al that an offer has been made on his place and he's asking al what to do he's like are you drunk or sober he's like i've got my wits about me you know he goes if you're drunk then you will sell but if you're sober you know it's a bad idea to sell uh and and he's like you're drunk for reasons having nothing to do with business and tom's just like well what am, what am i drunk for and he's like you're drunk over that kid that wasn't your fault yeah like absolutely not your fault this is my only quibble that just this moves a little too quickly because al's just like you're drunk over the kid and it wasn't your fault and tom goes yeah i guess it wasn't okay like yeah. <laughs> that's it um it i i love to see leon rippy anytime oh like, yeah 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 he's always great um and I understand this was already a fairly long episode. It was like 54 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So you got to keep things moving. Um, and there's a great line at the end. Yeah. <laughs> where I, I don't know about you. Like, I was caught off guard by how loud I laughed at it. Yeah. Like, Ellsworth and the Widow Garrett, what odds would you have made on that? <laughs> Al says, every so often there's a love match. <laughs> <laughs> like, I actually did the, like, pa. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good line. Uh, now in the Grand Central, we have a brief shot of Adams escorting Seth out of his house back towards the gem. But inside the Grand Central, wedding guests are all standing around <laughs> holding their wedding twigs. I don't know. <laughs> and we see Richardson. He's got his little uh, yeah. deer antlers yeah. under his jacket. And we go into Evie's hidey hole. I, th- I think this is good at showing, like, 
EB's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's also like he's he's very silly, and we're about to laugh at EB a lot. He's also like a really shitty dude because he's like, shall I part thou leather lips? <sighs> it's just disgusting. Yeah. Uh, but that's EB. Yeah. He's now just basically get... been rewarded for being shitty his whole life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's like, I'm going to let it all out now. There's a lot of little visual gags you can see the characters doing. Like, as Alma's walking down the stairs, you see Merrick already, like, wiping his eyes. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought that was a very interesting move by, by Milch to have Merrick be the one that's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's like, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you see Jane scratching her, like, butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once uh, Andy starts a ceremony, we start the intercutting. Yeah. And we've all seen The Godfather. <laughs> like, but I, I am going to, st- you know, it, it's sort of on the nose. But what I do like about this is it's not just saying that, like, oh, these two things are the same. This ties back all the way to the pilot. Yeah. A lie agreed upon. It's it's not just, you know, this wedding, oh, there's, they're bringing people together. Oh, and now we're also bringing people together in the business sense or in government. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are all, like, extremely compromised, you know, they're lies <laughs> that yeah. everyone's going to agree to. And uh, they're not going to be remembered in the correct way. And, but... It's the correct thing to do. Mm. Um, so I, I like that this ties up the entire season in uh, the same idea of like, we're all going to agree to a lie and this will make life better for everybody. Right. Um, I noticed that Alma is, is answering like she's, I don't know if it's still morning sickness like it's the same sort of like, like uh, staggered speaking mm-hmm. as when she had morning sickness. But I don't. It might also just be the anxiety. And there's also she like answers too early at one point. Andy's still like, Andy's like continuing. That will you love and share it? You know. <laughs> and she kind of goes like, oh, oh gosh. Uh, and there's intercut with a few other things. We see Charlie. Arriving back in camp. Uh, it's always good to see him again. Yeah. Then as uh, we see Hearst kind of like picking up his hammer. And uh, we see Martha back in the little, like behind the house. And we see where William had planted those sunflower seeds for his dad. Yeah. Starting to sprout up. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shit I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then Hearst starts hammering away at the wall, clearing that out. It interrupts the people in the wedding. It also interrupts EB. <laughs> it just it made me think of, like, Scrooge McDuck, in a sense. Yeah. But also, like, a cockroach. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. That is very cockroach-like. Yeah, yeah. Just, oh, and his God. legs are twitching, and his whole buddy's... <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> it's classic EB. Yeah. Um. What another thing that I thought was really interesting. So we've had the 
parallel drawn very obviously between the wedding between Alma and Ellsworth and the signing of this, you know, annexation proposal. They're done with the wedding. They go out and they're dancing. They're still working on the proposal. Yeah. Uh, I guess it shouldn't, like, be anything too profound to say, like, oh, no, this is really serious. But I thought it was striking that, like, we're comparing the two, but, like, this proposal is is still going on. Yeah, because, you know, and kind of like a lesser show, like, they would have shook hands when they're saying, giving the vows. Yeah. Whereas, you know, when they cut back to the office, you see Seth sit down and Seth starts talking. Right. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that Seth was kind of just standing in the background for mm-hmm. a long part of it. There's, I think there's a lot going on with the blocking in that yeah, scene. absolutely. Because Seth is there, and, you know, he's supposed to be the arbiter of justice and, and virtue, and, <laughs> I mean, he's in there with Commissioner Jerry and Al. Yeah. Uh, and he's sort of, like, in the back seat. But then, like you said... He sits down and he starts talking. He's like, what is Seth saying? Yeah. Uh, I found that fascinating. Uh, And now we get this little scene in the gem of Johnny, Dan, and Adams getting dressed up. Brother. (laughs) Like, what I I really liked about this, like, have you ever seen, like, costumes from back then? Like, they're ridiculous and horrifying. Yeah. Uh, I like that. This was uh, pretty accurate as far as that goes. Uh, we get some shots of this thoroughfare and dancing. We have the tailor like, Mr. Ellsworth, was I right about the gloves? <laughs> and apparently it's a, a big, um, it's a, it was a big cast member in NYPD Blue. Oh, huh. Who was playing the tailor. Um, and like, they, I think he shows up next season. Um, but they, they'd mentioned that NYPD Blue was just ending like in the middle of, uh, it was Gordon Clapp, mm. the actor's name, who played Greg Metavoy mm. in NYPD Blue. Um, they'd mentioned that like we're you know, there weren't too many people from NYPD Blue except like uh, Titus Welliver and uh, I think it was, was Kim Dickens in there too. I, I don't remember, but anyway, Gordon Clapp was a huge uh, part of NYPD Blue, and he finally got to show up. Also. Um there was another sh- quick shot in that uh, little montage where it was showing like Charlie coming back into town and Martha looking at the plant of uh, of uh, Walcott writing at his desk. That I think's oh right, right, right. Yeah. And there's like I don't, I don't know if it was just the rewatch or if it was that obvious on the first watch, but mm-hmm. like that rope is just like sitting right in front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I kind of want, like, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I should have gone back to think about all the other times, like, characters start writing a note before they die. Yeah. Buffalo Bill springs to mind. Yeah. Um, and with Buffalo Bill, there's sort of the question of, like, was that a suicide or was that, you know, just, did he just die? Um, I, I also involved Garrett Dillahunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're, we're back at Hearst's room, and Hearst is trying to give Cy his full and final payment. Like Hearst is like, there you go. All done. <laughs> and now Cy starts in on, he is back on his bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he tried really hard. Yeah. He's like, uh, you have, uh, served me well with like oh, Lord above would have testified to me having served you, Mr. Hearst. Uh, he does this very long, very uncomfortable, 
it, it seems like nobody wants Sai to be doing what he's doing. Yeah. It's like, please stop it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, he's basically saying he wants five percent of each claim that he helped buy, mm-hmm. which that's a, fair. Uh, from Sai's point of view, I'm sure Hearst is like, I don't want to give you money. Yeah, uh, but he brings up that he's got a letter from Walcott saying that he killed those women and Hearst knew about it. So Hearst is in a bind. Sai's like moving his hand around and Hearst does that like, please stop moving your hands. I mean, you know, Harmser, I can't speak for Captain Turner. Yeah. And Captain Turner, don't mess with him. Literally showing his gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But Sai like gets up and leaves thinking like, I did great right now. Like, (laughs) and I guess he did, but just really slimy. Uh, and then, you know, Hearst says to Captain Turn, like, you'll please see if there's actually a letter. Yeah. Because he, he'll have to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just hoping, like, maybe there isn't a letter. I don't want to have to deal with this guy. Now we, we, uh, get some more shots of the dancing in the thoroughfare and mm-hmm. we get, Merrick messing up his picture again. <laughs> you get a shot of Walcott just kind of enjoying looking at the people, which I don't know if this is an earned. Yeah, because I remember thinking, like, oh, I hope Joni doesn't see him. <sighs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because then we cut to, like, Joni and Andy and Jane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then in the middle of all that, we go to... And there's, this is another intercutting of, like, there's dancing in the thoroughfare with everyone, but then there's also bloodshed. Yeah. And other part of the alley, like, Lee is blissed out on opiate. You know what? Lee goes out like a boss. Like, you know, good on him. You yeah. know, the gem crew moves in. Uh, there's some more axing to the back. <laughs> uh, there's one guy that gets a hold of Dan, but Adams takes him out. Uh, which turns out to be important later. Uh, back in Al's office, the deal is finally getting done. Uh, so we're getting, you know, very stark juxtaposition between, you know, guys dancing with Sophia in the thoroughfare yeah. in, like, these big consolidations of power happening. Uh, Jerry, <laughs> there's some good physical acting by Tim Oliphant. Yeah. He shakes Jerry's hand and then wipes it on his pants. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he, like... After, like, he leaves, he, like, you know, he turns his whole body and, like, shakes Al's hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just... Yeah, it's, it's, he's, there's not a lot of warmth in that. No. <laughs> um, Seth goes down to have a drink, and there's a whole thing of, like, I think pretty quickly Al's, like, he needs to go home. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Don't you have a fucking home to go <laughs> yeah. to? Yeah, he, he says that later, but he, yeah. I think, but, like... Are we going to, like, have the the sheriff go home or what? Uh, but he tells Davey to tell Merrick to go ahead and print. Mm-hmm. Which is, another, like, god damn, this place is corrupt. Yeah. Like, he just got a, a story waiting. Uh, then Al, yeah, this is where Al brings up uh, Seth going home. He starts talking to the chief. Um, and he's wondering, uh, is Bullet going to go home or is he going to, pursue Alma to her hot springs honeymoon which I wonder if he's talking about hot springs Arkansas which is like for a long time the late 1800s early 1900s was like a big resort town hmm. uh, not too far from where my sister lives now so hmm. I know a lot of uh, 
baseball teams used to have spring training there. Like Babe Ruth and, and his Yankees used to have spring training there. Very exciting for someone like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also a lot of like organized crime people from around the turn of the century mm. in the 20s would hang out in hot springs. Um, anyway, back to Shiz on me. We see Doc taking care of Moe's. Moe's takes him outside to do these uh, breathing exercises mm-hmm. and, and stretching. Uh, now in the thoroughfare, this was kind of interesting. And like on the rewatch, I like forgot that this had happened. Uh, although I remember that God's not mocked, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I love, I really like size, like most main Andy, once they've brought one fucking plague into the camp, they would lay the fuck off. Yeah. He says something like you got a pestilence for any, every occasion. Yeah. He, he, He seems especially mad that like, uh, you know, his, uh, don't One work. of his prostitutes is like, you know, reading the Bible yeah. constantly. And so he's blaming Andy for that because he sees her mm. right next to Andy. Or is he, is, who is played by Powers Booth is his own daughter, as I mentioned earlier. And yeah. He, I won't have you corrupting her with the Bible. Yeah. Pull her out. <laughs> and, uh, I love Andy's delivery. God is not mocked. <laughs> God is not mocked, you son of a bitch. Yeah, and just. Yeah, I was really like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, I forgot. I thought I actually thought that I upon I forgot. I thought that happened later. Huh. Yeah, but it does seem like it's a weird cliff. Like it's it's weird for like these days watching TV because it's very obviously like they're not gonna have him like die off screen like out of like in between seasons. And apparently, Jim Beaver talked about like this was apparently a. Uh, Powers Booth was upset about something about this. Hmm. And there was like a long argument with him and Milch and I think one of the producers. Well, I don't know if it was just like the, the staging or the, the blocking or or if he was like, you're not killing off my character, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he went up to <laughs> he went up to Milch and was like, don't let me die. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but that's, but that's a really good line reading. Like yeah. I ain't going to die. And then, you know, just whispering to her, like, don't let me die. Yeah. Cause he spent the whole episode, like trying to build himself up as like this, you know, I'm going to be a power player in this town. And he finally kind of feels like he's, he's got, you know, her stead to rights and everything. And this is what's going to do him in. Yeah. And, and it also feels to me like the whole episode has been him desperately clawing in a in a sort of eb sort of fashion yeah. of like i will make people respect me and love mm-hmm. me you know yeah and he just doesn't have the people skills to be respected or like he can be feared but yeah that's about it yeah um and so this here where he's like wait i want to make sure someone cares enough to not let me die yeah <laughs> that's really it's really great mm-hmm. yeah we um I'm going to really miss Powers Booth. Yeah. Uh, but back in uh, Chinatown, we see Wu kill Lee. Mm-hmm. And there's I, this is another thing I wasn't wild about. is It kind of like dragged that prostitute out, and she has to like turn to camera to show yeah. Brez. And like the the way they treated her, I, I thought was just like, that's not necessary to... Like, get out of here, you whore. Like, and to be like, she's a collaborator or whatever. Like, no, man, (laughs) no. Uh, I would have liked more respect shown to that character. Yeah. (laughs) It's not really a character because she's there for three seconds. But that just bothered me a little bit. 
Um, now back to the thoroughfare. Uh, Doc shakes Moses' hand. Uh, Moses walks back into the chaise on me, and we see Walcott's body drop. Yeah. Uh, and that's that. Uh, I always hate seeing that. And I'm like, no, Garrett Dillahunt, come back. Yeah. <laughs> Play another character. Uh, Charlie walks up to Jane and Joni, which is a nice little scene. It's always good to see Charlie and Jane. And uh, I love Charlie and Joni's relationship. Yeah. The friendship. Yeah. The, like, platonic male-female friendship. And I even love how, like, uh, Charlie, like, you know, she's like, hello, Mr. Owner. He's like, hello, Mrs. Stubbs. Yeah. And it's like just... Doesn't even bother calling Jane by her name or anything. <laughs> yeah, and it's a surprisingly cordial moment with him and Jane. Yeah, yeah. It's like, look at this ugly motherfucker. Like, yeah. there's none of that even. I think right. Just because of the occasion, they're like, mm-hmm. well, welcome. I think she's just like, welcome back. Yeah, to welcome you. back. Yeah. yeah, whatever. So, it's just a nice little moment at the end of the season, uh, and we have Al on the balcony. I I didn't. I want to see what you think about this line. It's like, they dance on, Chief. However much at home, as at yours in mine, comfort and love await. I guess, okay. So he's saying, like, they're still dancing even at, even if at home, comfort and love and wait, await. Mm-hmm. I was confused by it. I was a little confused, too. You, you, uh, you twirled one, one too many twirls, Melch. Yeah. You lost us. Uh, <laughs> Al sees the gem crew. He sees all the 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 rowdy boys yeah. <laughs> returning. <laughs> These business boys uh, returning, and he notes that they're unhurt. And like, thank God. And Johnny has a really nice. There's a there's a lot of just like really nice moments. Yeah. <laughs> At the end here, John's like, did a good fucking account, did Mister Woot. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. And. uh... Al congratulates Adams on doing well indoors and out yeah. today. It was a good day for Adams. There's also a weird moment where, like, Dan, he basically thanks, because there's that mo- moment I think we skipped, glanced over where, like, I think Dan was almost, like, uh, killed in the when he was going yeah. in the raid. And yep. Adams puts the axe in that dude's bag. Right. And so, like, that's his Dan, the only way he can, like, thank Adams for anything but he just sounds so fucking mean about it. Save my bacon, fucking Adams. <laughs> like, punches him. Yeah. Adams is so tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's so tired, man. It would be good to have Miss Isringhausen around to like make him feel better yeah. after a long day. Very long day. Uh, yeah, that's a nice moment. Yeah. A series of nice moments. But and this is one of my favorite scenes of the uh, series. Is when Wu cuts off his ponytail mm-hmm. and does the Wu America. And that'll hold you tight to her tit. Uh, and now we have another quote from Keone Young, which this was this was a little bit of a, a backstory on the pigtail that I didn't realize. Uh, Keone Young says the pigtail was a symbol of subjugation that the Manchus had forced upon the Han Chinese people to wear. Without one, you would be executed, and you could never return to China without one. I told David that when the Chinese, uh, once they realized they would not return to China and that they would remain in America, and by that virtually become Americans, they cut off their cues. I wanted Wu to represent the generation between my grandfather and father, 
my father was an immigrant son, but totally devoted to America in World War II. He enlisted and played in the army band. Um, David was excited about using that moment to express what an emigre feels when he decides to give up his past life for his new life. Uh, he even kidded me about not suing him for stealing my idea, but I was so honored that he would see Wu from my point of view. So that's that's kind of cool that yeah yeah he didn't see him as like a Chinese. He saw him like this is a person that's like I'm I am buying I'm all in on America. Yeah. Um, and they get the little Hung Dai salute. Hung Dai yeah. Wu Suijin Hung Dai. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a shot of Captain Turner seeing Walcott uh, swinging in the breeze, as it were. Uh, I like Captain Turner being able to play notes, emotional notes because he's like clearly shocked. Yeah. Um, now we get Merrick and Blazanov running through the streets announcing that elections are coming. This is a bit much for the end of the episode. I guess you have to. Yeah. Because it's the last scene, but to be like, we're dancing to the thoroughfare, there's a guy swinging, Lee's dead, <laughs> elections are coming. Like <laughs> Big finish, big finish. It's, it's a big, because... Didn't the season start with the telegraph poles going up in Al remarking, like, invisible messages sent from unknown? But I think so. Doesn't he say, like, soon soon we'll have laws and everything here or something like that? Yeah. And now we're at the end of the season, like, we're part of the territory. Elections are coming. Like, politics are going to start being a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll deal with that uh, in next season. Um, but there's a good... Note here, Ellsworth is dancing with Sophia while Almond's getting on, I guess, the drive-away car of the time, some wagon. Seth is walking back home. They briefly make eye contact. I love that, like, we all know the import of this moment. Uh, we just see them looking at each other, but then we see Saul and Trixie see them, and I was like, oh, God, get out of there before <laughs> Trixie gets you. <laughs> Trixie's going to tear your head off. And they're, you know, cut back to Al. Like, I believe it's to your fucking right. (laughs) (laughs) Some real choice delivery there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I really like, you know, Seth just kind of gives her this, like, knowing look. I love uh, what Molly Parker does with Alma. Like, she kind of sits up straight Mm -hmm. and is very, like, composed. Yeah. Uh, I love that she doesn't give any hint to the the weakness of wanting to go back to Seth. Right. I think it goes back to her sort of soliloquy earlier where she's like, I'm living my own life now. Um, as, as much as she even says that Seth is the man that she loves, she's like, nah, dude, nah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that is over. Like that, that's not happening. I think that was really good and must've been really, um, Hard to come to that decision, I think. Not hard, but at least not intuitive. Um, I liked it. Yeah. And then we cut to Blasnov doing his Russian dancing. <laughs> I love it. And uh, Merrick finally gets a picture off. Yeah. Finally gets it right. And, and Jen. <laughs> Jen is grabbing his dick. <laughs> I loved... Jen had another really good moment when the guys were dressing up. Yeah. Uh, like, disguising themselves. She's like looking and laughing. It's like fucking what, Jen? <laughs> She's like nothing. <laughs> and we'll get more of Jen in next season. Um, but to cap this off, we just get a shot of Al leaning over, watching, and just gives a little smile, and the se- season is over. Yeah. Hot damn. 
Season two. That was some good writing and acting. <laughs> so that's season two, folks. Yeah. Really good season of television. Uh, any final thoughts, Harry? Not really, no. no I mean, it, it's a perfect, you know, we found a lot of tracing back to the very first episodes, and we've got a little self-contained story in the you know larger narrative. They set up some very momentous things that are coming with... Uh, Marriage of Ellsworth and Alma, and Hearst arriving in the camp, who is going to become... You know, it's really kind of wild that he is one of the biggest characters of this show, and kind of the main, um, I guess you would say, heavy of the yeah. of the season, and he's just now showing up. Yeah. Um, now they thought they were going to be doing more seasons. But, uh, yeah... So we've got more to look forward to in season three. All right, folks. Well, as usual, you can uh, check us out on MockingbirdNetwork.com. You can follow us on uh, Twitter if you're so inclined. Uh, you can find us on Facebook also. Just uh, search for Unauthorized Cinema. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Our, our handle's at DeadwoodPod. Um, so until next time, we'll see you at, in season three for episode one. Mockingbird Network. That was a chair. <laughs> <laughs>